This is a Lip Media Podcast. This podcast is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. The country we now call Australia was built on the stolen lands of hundreds of unique Indigenous nations, and we recognise that as white women, we continue to partake in and benefit from the act of colonisation. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging. Welcome to Bookslut, a podcast bringing erotica out of the gutter and into a snobbier gutter. Hi, my name is Abby. And I'm Sam. It should go without saying that this podcast is not safe for work, so put your headphones in. Okay, so excitingly today we have our first proper guest. Yay, legitimacy. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that means we've made it, right? (laughs) So today we have with us Tegan Higginbotham, who is an Australian comedian, writer and actress. Did I say your name right just then? Do you want me to you say that again? did, and I know that was amazing. That's the <laughs> first time that's ever happened. Okay. And, and what's even really awkward is that I introduced myself to somebody the other day and I got my last name wrong. Uh, I went Tegan in the middle and it's, it's a horrible last name, uh, but thank you so much for, for taking it slow. It is phonetic. Like it's, it's how it should be, but thank you so much. So we wanted to chat with you today about, I guess, erotica and romance literature. That's what we, that's what we come here for. And I was here for sport talk. This is very upsetting. <laughs> I mean, our last episode was on hockey and uh, we are bad at sport talk. So (laughs) So, I guess to kick things off, straight off the bat, what was your first encounter with a sexy book? You know, what's really interesting is I'm, I'm, I'm finding out that this narrative is very common and I've learned this from listening to the, the two of you. For me, it was uh, at a holiday house, uh, (laughs) somebody that my parents knew and on their bookshelf was an erotic it was a like proper Mills and Boone sort of book and I don't remember the title I just remember it was about uh cowboys and <laughs> classic. They were, they were, it was all set in a saloon and there was the big kind of angry cowboy and there was this woman and she was a virgin and then she had <laughs> sex and and it was all explosions and fireworks and you know since then I've really grown to hate the virgin narrative not hate mm. virgins I want that very clear but <laughs> virgin narrative in erotica but um yeah I remember just being just so scandalized and enthralled and I'll be honest completely turned on by this mm. book how but old were you that was I'm gonna say maybe 11-ish 10-ish 11-ish maybe were, were you there so you were there with your family yeah which is always the <laughs> awkward thing because you 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 discover this gold mine and then you also go oh no this is a naughty thing this is bad I shouldn't be reading this let alone get seen reading this But other than that, I do recall things like I remember at a very young age being very confused by the labyrinth, knowing that there was something more to that friendship. Those pants are tight for a like non-sexual reason. I don't think he wants to come to this place so they can be friends, but I don't understand. You know, and you know that there's there but you're just not sure what it is so yeah you kind of but that I remember that book was the moment where it really all it all galvanized one of my most mortifying moments was when because obviously I like reading that's a thing that is well established by this point my mum bought me a sexy book for like Christmas. How is this the first time this is coming up? <laughs> yeah, I know. I... So you're a bit of an avid reader as well, aren't you, Tegan? You read. I am. Particularly around erotica and, and romance, though. That's what we've heard yes. on the grapevine. <laughs> yes. I like how you paused at the end of your sentence where you said, We've heard you like to read. <laughs> as if that was in doubt. <laughs> But no, I love a dirty book. I love them. I love them so much. I love a fancy, dirty book. Um, I would have said that I, no, actually, I do like a cheaper, dirty book, you know, a paperback, something that gets sold at the airport you take on holiday and you're like, yes, this is great. It's kind of like junk food, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I like to call them the hot chips of literature. You know, that you can't have them all the time. Fuck it. You love it so much. Um, a really good one that I read a little while ago, and I've not loved the others in a series so much, but there's an author called Joanna Bourne, and she wrote this book called The Spy Master's Lady. And it's this classic, 
like drawing of a guy with his shirt open <laughs> on the front and he's um it's all set around these french spies and this uh this particular spy Annick Vier, i think her name is and when you meet her she's actually blind and she's been thrown into a prison with an english spy like this her you know her enemy and it's it's just so over the top and there's already so much going on in that story <laughs> Yeah, so she's blind, so she doesn't know, like she doesn't see him, but then of course they fall in love and they, you know, they get the dirty on. And then she manages to escape from him and she hits her head and she gets her sight back. And then little does she know, she runs back into grey again, but she doesn't know that it's grey. So suddenly she's feeling really guilty because she's fallen in love with another man. But um Whoa. It's the spy master. And it's it's such a great book. Oh my lord. It's wonderful. I feel like we're gonna have to and add that to our list. Yeah, that's please do. It's yeah. it's really something. It's really yeah. something. But then I also found myself just getting so angry with things like, you know, the big hitters, the Twilights and the Fifty Shades, and just how dangerous the messages were in there. Not just, you know, not just poorly written, but really concerning stuff. Yeah. It's a good combination when it's both poorly written and problematic. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't get past the first. I read the first Twilight in high school. So Ooh. word on the street is that you have, in fact, um, penned a sexy book. Penned I've sounds tried. so lovely. Yeah, doesn't it's it? I imagine too. candles. <laughs> yeah, the scratching I mean, of quill on yeah, paper. Yeah, exactly. I'm imagining ink. You know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've I've certainly given it a shot, and whether this 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 gargantuan. <laughs> project that I've undertaken will ever bear fruit. I'm still not sure. It's out there in the world, hopefully trying to find a publisher. But I just, I I knew how much I loved that just fun escapism of the hot chip sort of literature and how disappointed I was that I was just not finding really stuff that I was into. As I said, I'm really frustrated with virgins being put on such a pedestal in these sorts of books that I really love, especially because the rep, like how sex is, portrayed for those virgins it's just not accurate it's oh it's it's not you know it's not great so it wasn't great for me first time by first time I've been like the first five years um (laughs) and then you know so that's that's never really gelled with me and yeah I've just I've so many times really wanted to get into a book and then I you know the, the the lead female she'll give up her job and give up her life because she's found the love of her life and I can't I can't connect with that so I just wanted to try to write something that had all those really cheesy fun over the top tropes but just a few tweaks along the way. Yeah. Something that we talk about quite a lot is that so often we get just like snapped out of it because of all of these other things that come up, like the virgin trope that you mentioned, any kind of, you know, when they fall into traps about stereotypes about women and sexuality and whatnot, it just like immediately makes it certainly not sexy, but also takes away from that that, that fun aspect that you were talking about. So I like... I certainly applaud you for, for giving it a go. It sounds like a hard undertaking. And it's been amazing, actually, with the amount of erotica and romance novels that Sam and I have now read, <laughs> that there's honestly very few of them that I am like, this was an unproblematic, fun romp for, <laughs> you know, for a woman to read and be aroused by. Like, almost every single one that we've had has just been on a varied scale of quite problematic. I don't know if that's just because we're picking, we're picking the <laughs> I've books. I've been trying to pick non-problematic <laughs> ones. I pick ones with good ratings. <laughs> yeah. One of the tricky things that I found was that, you know, when writing a hot sex scene, consent is really hard to write into it. Yeah. And I'm going to be completely honest in that I have not read Normal People yet. I, I just went straight to the TV show. I was like, what is this thing that I'm hearing everybody talk about? Oh, um, but consent is done really, really well in that. And then juxtaposed between moments where there is no consent and, you know, it's really, really glaring. It's right in your face. But I found when, you, when you're in that and you're trying to create a rhythm and, and really build something, it, it's hard to filter in. And I can see why perhaps some people avoid that or don't write in condoms because condoms are, I mean, there's just no universe where condoms are sexy in my mind. So putting those elements in, I found quite difficult. And it was through trying to do this and really look at, yeah, look at it from lots of different angles and, and who do I want this lead character, this female to be? And, you know, yeah, it's, it's funny when you then try and write it and some things I can almost see why people go, ah, we'll just, we just assume they put on a condom or, you yeah. know. 
you know, we're in her head. So surely she's, we can tell that she wants to say yes. You know, those sorts of things. I can see why it's skipped. Yeah. And do you think, do you think that Australia and Australian, I guess women, because it's mostly women who, who read these have, an appetite like Sam and I in particular have this appetite to find romance that is that doesn't jolt us out of it being sexy just because it has these things do you think that that appetite is there in the Australian publishing industry for instance or? I, I mean I know that it is on a personal level with me and I don't know if it's just the women that I'm talking to but there's all the books that we read uh, because, you know, they're, they're in the media or they're really important or, you know, because you want to look good when you post yourself on Instagram holding that <laughs> particular book. But then there's also the ones that we all pass between each other. It's like, oh, have you read that one? Oh, no, that one was good. And generally it's because there is um, some sort of sexy or romantic narrative that, I mean, I get hooked by that stuff. I really do enjoy it. Whether that's being reflected in what publishers want to publish in Australia I'm not so sure. I mean, I, I, I listened to you guys chatting about and gosh, I'm kicking myself because I can't remember the incredible title of your Australian erotic fiction. <laughs> uh, sorry, fiction. Where was it? It was like in the Wimmera. We're along. The, the, the bride's we're along. We're along. <laughs> How can I forget the we're along? Um, but I can't think of a lot of erotica or romantic fiction coming out of Australia, especially in your right that's not set in that, you know, it was a sheep shearing station. <laughs> Crikey, you know. <laughs> I mean, that's what that's I crikey. that's what I wanted. <laughs> Sam wanted more crikey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's a I think it's a real shame because I just fundamentally disagree with this idea that there aren't women out there who want romance and erotica that aligns with their set of values and aligns with their kind of worldview and is like modern and takes into account all of these things. Like, I just it frustrates me that it seems to be slow on the on the uptake well that it seems to be um it's laughed at not laughed at that's not quite right it's looked at like it's um like it's foolish or that it's it lacks intelligence um I find that that's something that that there is this perception like even chiclet makes it sound kind of poppy and fun but I don't think it really encapsulates the the breadth of literature that is out there that you know, that talks about this sort of subject matter. It's just, yeah, chiclet. I don't know. I don't, I actually don't like the term chiclet. I don't, I don't really, that doesn't connect with me, but yeah, it's, it's a real shame that it feels like this is still seen as it's not the legitimate literature. It never will be. Yeah. And it's also like, it's incredibly hard to write sex, like what you were talking about. It's incredibly hard to write good sex. I think there is this, this, um, disregard of good writing for sex because people are like oh it's I don't know it's it's just not important even though it's something that everybody thinks about a lot of the time every single day (laughs) I think it's it's the reason we make a lot of decisions in our life I think sex you know I don't mean to I'm sure there are other things out there but a lot of the time I think sex is really at the core of a lot of reason why mankind is the way it is but you're right, trying to translate that onto a page is really difficult. What I find interesting, though, is when I find a book that has been written by a man and he'll nail something like a description of the female orgasm and I'm like, who have you spoken to? <laughs> and I get so intrigued by these conversations that must have taken place. Uh, one of them, and I just want to make sure I get the, I always forget his name, Jason Matthew, he did the Red Sparrow series, the film with Jennifer Lawrence and Joel Edgerton. It wasn't terrible but it was in no way reflective I think of how good these series are it's it's a really really good series and the sex scenes in it are great and and honestly I keep going man you have had sex with a woman and then brought out a notebook and pen and gone right let's go (laughs) step by step what was that what was that little noise what was that all about I feel like that's the only way he could have nailed it so perfectly which hopefully would have made the experience more sexy, not just like really creepy and weird. <laughs> I love it when they take notes. <laughs> it's my, he just found someone who that was, that was their kink. <laughs> like, that was just... their thing, yeah. <laughs> very, very good books though. The only other thing that I wanted to ask you about sort of like the experience of trying to capture that in writing. And I think like it's, it's interesting talking to you because – we obviously read a lot and critique a lot 
We've never tried to We've write. We've never tried to write Maybe one. we'll do that one episode. Yeah, that would be interesting. <laughs> It'd probably be awful. Um, but one of the things I'm curious about is, and, and that we've spoken about a bit in the past, is like the words that people use to describe uh, body parts. Um, and I'm curious how your experience was with that and also like if you had any creative ones or ones you've come across in your readings. There is no nice word for cock it does not exist (laughs) for women you can talk around it you can kind of you know not that I would ever use her flowery garden but you know it's a flowery (laughs) garden and you can really get at it in a very abstract way with the penis cock dick phallus manhood manhood's not bad but it just what about clearly, like, like love it, sword how do you feel about I mean, love, sword? love sword and then it's like i don't want that near me because the Let's maypole wasn't that one of them <laughs> the maypole that just makes me think of kids with ribbons. yeah exactly um, people dancing around it just. <laughs> yeah and 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 that was one of the definite tricky bits is just there's there's no nice words and i think that one of my troubles in life is my biggest struggle with sex is trying not to look at the things that I find funny. Yeah. Try and stay like erect penises are just funny. <laughs> They're funny. And I don't understand. I was always really confused watching sex in the city because samantha jones would be like mm, penises yum 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 and i'd be like but they're funny come on this is angry little thing looking at you yeah look i've definitely been caught out laughing mid-sex before and been like i promise i'm not laughing at you it's just, this is ridiculous yeah it's you know so much of sex is ridiculous and i think that when i was writing it that was also tricky because you know it, it is it's quite ridiculous but then yeah when you try to do things like how do you describe an orgasm without just falling back on all of the old tropes, which I probably have. I'll be honest. They're probably just all the old tropes because it's, it's really hard. It's really hard to do. Hmm. I have a couple of examples from um, a previous episode that I'd love to run by you. <laughs> Maybe you could incorporate them into your future work. Oh, yeah, there's going to be edits. So this is, I'll bring out my notebook. <laughs> okay, so this weapon of pleasure, which she staked herself upon. <laughs> once again that just feels like and, and the sound to stake oneself upon a weapon of pleasure i just feel that's got to have like a certain splat to it or i don't know this you know it also just feels like he's inert on the bed and she just like stakes herself on <laughs> on it you know like it's they're just... like you're not meant to jump onto it you know <laughs> Yeah, and I, I do find also, I mean, the manhood thing with, you know, with it being a weapon or a sword and all that sort of stuff to sheathe themselves, you know, within us. I don't know. I just get really like, oh, I get it. You wish you were a knight. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And then talking about vaginas, we've got that dark and delicious deep. Now, you liked that one back yeah, in the day. I like the alliteration. <laughs> yeah, I don't mind. It's also just calling it a deep. It's so ambiguous that... It kind of works, dark and delicious, deep. I don't mind that. Cleft of flesh? How do you feel about <laughs> Funny thing is I've used the word cleft and I know that I've used it because I had to look it up um, just to make sure that I thought it was what it was. But I used it more between the breasts. Ah, there's a bit of a cleft. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, a fleshy cleft just doesn't sound as hot, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I mean, it should be the fleshy cleft. That's what it should be. The fleshy cleft. The fleshy cleft. Oh. Oh. So let's take a break and then we will talk about Lady Chatterley's Lover. Yeah. Which I'm so excited to talk about. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. All right, so essentially, Tegan, we asked you what you would like to read for this episode, and you chose Lady Chatterley's Lover, which 
I love. I read it in this age where I seem to have read every single book I've ever read, which is 15 to 18. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But Sam has never read it. Yeah. Guilty. Um, But you'd heard about it. Oh, yeah. I mean, everyone's heard about Lady Chatterley's Love. (laughs) It's... It's pretty well known, right? <laughs> yeah. So I guess if you can if you can take us through some of the major plot points, <laughs> that'd be good. I don't really remember it. I, I really loved revisiting this because I read it the first time and really, really loved it. And the second time around, and there were bits in it the first time that I didn't connect with and I found a bit jarring. The second time around, uh, it's almost like I found new bits that I really didn't like. And there are a couple of things in there that are very of the 1920s where you go, that's not acceptable. And I'm going to just accept this as a historical piece that that wouldn't be acceptable and, you know, sign of the times, blah, blah, blah. But um, I really liked revisiting again. So it's this incredible story about class and about how sex is just this, this equalizing thing between the classes, really, that when two people are in bed together and they have good fuck and you know that's the sort of language that is in this book that it doesn't matter who you are it's just about that connection and it's about this generation of people who have come out of the great war world war one and have lost their identity in a little way and they're shaken and they're struggling and this you know these two people find each other in through sex and that's where they find their relief but basically it said it's all about this uh, central character constance reed and we meet her right before she becomes Lady Chatterley. So she marries uh, this, what would that be, a lord, a an lord. earl? I think he's a lord. Yeah, I think he's a lord. And um, I'm actually just going to hang, hold with me for one second because I want to get to the first, the very first line I think really sums up what we're dealing with here. Mine's got this crazy long forward, so I never know when the book actually starts. I really froth a forward. Just oh, really? Mm. Yeah, I always read the forwards. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> yeah. So it's, yeah, so it starts off, ours is essentially a tragic age, so we refuse to take it tragically. The cataclysm has happened, we are among the ruins, and we start to build up new little habitats to have new little hopes. It's rather hard work. There is now no smooth road into the future, but we go round or scramble over the obstacles. We've got to live no matter how many skies have fallen. So, you know, we kind of set off going, oh, all right, they've been through some shit. Um, <laughs> they've got some issues to work through then, I guess. They've got some issues. So as we're saying, you've got Constance, Lady Chatterley, and she was raised, she was quite interesting. She was raised in wealth, but she was a bit of a bohemian, you know, with her parents. She traveled over to Europe and she's seen arts and she's always been involved in intellectual circles and she loves, she just really uh, respects intellectual connections and she believes that this is what life is all about it's about conversation it's about having you know deep conversations and intellectual connections with people so even her first lovers who she has over in germany i believe it is she doesn't choose them because she's sexually attracted to them she just chooses the most interesting of the bunch and really doesn't think much of the sex at all it's not her bag then she marries lord chatterley he goes off to war and is shipped back home uh paralyzed from the waist down So everything is useless. So this young woman, she's in her 20s. Suddenly she is now locked with this guy who she will never be able to have sex with for the rest of their lives. His dick doesn't work anymore. Paralyzed. Yeah. Done. So she's, she's saddled up with this guy. And for a while, I feel like she doesn't even mind so much because she intellectually connects with him. And that is enough for Constance Chatterley. But the years go by and she's just living this really dreary life in this small town where it's a real, it's a mining town. So industrialization is taking over. There's this real narrative about the countryside just becoming factories and soot and blackness. And then her husband, um, Lord Chatterley, suggests that maybe they could have a baby and Constance could sleep with another man because the sex doesn't matter. That won't come between their marriage. Their marriage is much more than this base human function which is sex and that's what the upper class is really um personified they they, they, they're seen as being this sexless class in a lot of ways and that really starts to rattle connie and she she takes a lover and it doesn't quite work and then not too long afterwards we meet oliver mellers the gamekeeper (laughs) former soldier used to work in the mines and if you want to have a picture of him my oliver mellis has always been richard madden because of the bbc adaptation with <laughs> holiday granger ring a ding ding but i found out that 
there was once an adaptation where Sean Bean plays, oh, yes, Bean as in Flicker. And um, they always read his name as Scene Bean. Scene <laughs> Bean every time. <laughs> so Scene Bean, really, if you want to picture Oliver Mellers, think young Patriot Games, maybe Scene Bean. Yeah, right. That's the one. All I all I think is like older, kind of haggard Scene Bean, and I'm just like, oh, mm. no. <laughs> give me a bit of that young Bean any day. Um, <laughs> Oh, so Richard then, right, so, is hot though. <laughs> oh, okay. Just as a real side thing, because I am all about the Sorry, I just Googled his face. <laughs> what you've got to do is when we stop recording, you've got to watch this show on Netflix called uh, The Bodyguard. Not Bodyguard, The Bodyguard. Oh, no, is it the other way? It's just Bodyguard. It's yeah, the one I think that The Bodyguard is the movie, isn't it? Yeah, which is also very good. <laughs> it's so good. Anyway, <laughs> I digress. You've got Oliver Mellers. Picture Richard Madden if you want. And he is, he is so jaded. Oh, my God, the chip on his shoulder. I'm surprised the man can lift anything. Um, <laughs> you know, and it's because, you know, as I said, this thing is about class. And it's this guy who went off and fought for England. And he's actually educated. He's really bright. But because of class, he's nothing in their eyes. It's all about money, wealth, power. And he has none of it. And he speaks with this really heavy accent, even though he can speak the proper English. So all that and kind of like a sexy Hagrid in a way. <laughs> <laughs> And he, uh, and yes, I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> now you're wet. Um, sorry, please. Oh my God. And so Constance and him, as you can imagine, this, 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 this love affair starts and he really awakens Constance because for the first time ever she's having good sex and she realizes this connection between people and it's all about just how nothing else matters in these this this generation who are scarred and wounded and crawling out of the ashes of the first war the kindest thing you can do to somebody is show them a caring fuck like you can be nice in bed you can have good sex and a good connection connie eventually tells lord chatterley she gets pregnant to oliver mellers and there's this whole thing about her trying to hide who she's pregnant to because uh, Lord Chatterley could deal with it if it was from somebody from the upper classes, but not, not a servant, not the lower classes. So they try to hide it. And in the end, the truth all comes out. And it ends on a really ambiguous note because Connie has to go kind of into hiding it away. And Oliver Mellors does too. And, he and writes he's, he's married as well, isn't he? He oh. is married. I love that like the adultery isn't the thing that upsets her husband it's <laughs> class exactly yeah it's he doesn't mind that she slept with another man it's that it was somebody below him again it ends on this ambiguous note of am i allowed to say how it ends yeah actually the book's nearly 100 years old <laughs> yeah you've, you've had yeah, your the time spoilers don't matter anymore i think <laughs> and uh, of, of him hoping that they can be back together again soon you know once i guess the storm has died down yeah. and it's 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 so rich and it's you know, I can see why feminists even to this day pull it apart and fight over this book. And, you know, I know that people like Simone de Beauvoir cannot stand the writing of D.H. Lawrence. Uh, Germaine Greer is not a fan of the book at all. Like it really splits people down the middle. And I can see why it's, it is contentious, but that wasn't the reason that it went to court. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting. I think I started reading some stuff about the language that D.H. Lawrence uses, which I obviously, cause I, I read it when I was quite young and I remember struggling with Mella's dialect and being like, what the fuck is this guy even saying? Like, oh, is it, <laughs> is it written in a way that it like, yeah, it's like he... he he uses words like thine and and like yeah, really kind of dialect heavy words. But and now yeah. looking at that again, it's interesting. I read this whole article about the dialect really and about how he code switches so much between the Derbyshire dialect and then also the like proper English. And mm. how in particular this one sex scene between him and Connie when Connie, like when they start to really kind of bond and Connie uses the Derbyshire accent in response to him talking and he corrects her grammar in it. And yeah. so it's kind of like this entire power dynamic of playing with class in that way and and Connie being like acting as a servant towards him and, and doing all of that. And um, how a lot of feminists see that as, again, D.H. Lawrence. So I read a lot of things about how D.H. Lawrence just like never talks about foreplay. 
It's just mm. always like a bit of yeah. Like, now that you point that out, they are they yeah they're always pretty ready to go. There's no warming up the oven. <laughs> yeah. No. And so um, the article that was talking about the dialect was actually talking about the scene where Connie's preparing tea for him as foreplay, like this idea of switching into these different roles. Role being, play, yeah, yeah. Being role playing and being this kind of BDSM kind of vibe to mm. it as well, um, which I thought was really interesting to have this, yeah, just this total kind of code switch of this person and using that in a quite sexual way. You're right, because I've always found his swapping between, you know, the dialects really fascinating because he is such a broken person, Oliver Mellers, and I think he refuses to use the language that I actually think might even be more comfortable to him, which is a more relaxed style of English. He really seems to put on this thick accent as a, as a form of defiance because he doesn't want to be in any way associated with the upper class. And it's funny, I read that scene where Connie was taking on his, his dialect as something of a moment of humanity between them. Finally, they're actually playing and acknowledging this elephant in the room, which is, yeah, we're, there's a pretty wide gap between us, but I can do your thing too. And you can do my thing. And we're actually, you know, we know that it's all a front, really. It's all show. Uh, there's a great excerpt from the trial that um, mm. the prosecutor <laughs> says some of the dialect. And wait, wait. So it- for context for people who don't know, oh, yeah. <laughs> there was a whole Sorry. like landmark obscenity trial around this book because it was originally published in 1928, but then the UK didn't get the full like uncensored version published until 1960, which was following on from this trial. Yeah, so there's actually kind of two legal issues like two um, ways that the legal system tried to stop this book from coming in. And the first was right at the beginning when it was published. So it was published in Italy Mm. and then it was smuggled into the UK. Um, And it was published as the reason that D.H. Lawrence ended up actually publishing it was because when it was first published in Italy, private erotic collections started um, publishing it and he didn't get any of the royalties for it because he didn't have his name on it. So the next year he decided to publish it with his name on it and then I think that was in France and so that he could get the copyright for it. Mm. People started trying to smuggle it into the UK. The I love the idea of people smuggling books. <laughs> That's, oh, isn't it great? Like it. The border control, the British border control had a um, seek and destroy order on it. So as soon as they found the books, they wow. would they would destroy them straight up. Like there was mm. just, that was what was happening. Um, and so they tried to stop it from going into England. And then what happened in 1960 was Penguin wanted to publish it as part of their you know, cheap books that you could buy. And that was when the famous obscenity rule kind of came in. And D.H. Lawrence was dead by this point as well. So it was kind of a posthumous trial of him. During that trial, one of the prosecutors read out some of the dialogue for it and was like, you know, kind of pointing out that this was just kind of ridiculous I guess and they were they were trying to pull apart you know like oh who would even read this and in response to that was like yes that's the dialogue but it sounds a lot better if you say it in a Derbyshire accent (laughs) (laughs) it's actually quite sexy if you say it properly (laughs) yeah it's it's funny though I mean it felt to me like, and you know, this is somebody who wasn't there and hasn't done probably as much reading as yourself about the case. It found like it sounds like they kept coming at it from this angle of we have issues with the language and not just the Derbyshire, you know, that that strong language that's through there, but also use the of the four word. letter words. Yeah, are we allowed to say them on this podcast? Yeah. Oh, yeah. What you're we love okay. we love the four letter words. <laughs> Fuck and cunt, and he really uses cunt in ways that I have just not really seen in literature before. Um, And this case seemed to be focusing on that being the issue. But then this was from one of the, um, from one of the prosecutors who wanted the book banned. And when it was finally said that it was going to be out there in the world, he was like, he asked if it was the kind of book you would wish your wife or servants to read. And I think that really it wasn't an issue with the language. It was about the fact that it portrayed women in a position of power that I've not seen in literature from that time too much. And also this class thread throughout it, it really just 
tore the upper classes to shreds. And I think that was the true issue is that the upper classes didn't like being portrayed that way. I don't think, I mean, there would have been people who bristled at the use of fucking cunt because it's in there a lot. Um, but really, I think it's just, it's, it's all about that class stuff to me. Yeah. I, um, I mean, I have a, I have a stats on. I love stats. <laughs> well, this is again from the um, transcript of the case where the prosecutor says he counted out the, the novel's use of four letter words. The word fuck or fucking appears no less than 30 times. Cunt 14 times, balls 13 times, shit and ass six times a piece, cock four times, piss three times, and so on. I mean, that's the best ad that you can get for this book, really. <laughs> I know. Just have that on the cover in little quotes. <laughs> but I saw, um, I did see, I ended up kind of keeping a little bit of a tally when I was researching this about things that other white men said about this book. Um, oh, go on. So you're talking about, you know, they said, you know, would you want your child or daughter to or your to have servant? This? Yeah, or your servant. Your servant. And it said um, there during a debate held in the House of Lords, one of the lords replied to that, saying he had no such objection, but he would have the strongest objection to the book being read by his gamekeeper. <laughs> yeah, I swear <laughs> he would. So I was like, that's quite good. And then in the U.S., a senator, um, who Senator Smoot, said that Lady Chatterley's lover was written by a man with a diseased mind and a soul so black that he would even obscure the darkness of hell. Oof. Wow. <laughs> That's dark. I mean, I didn't get that from the book, I have to admit. <laughs> Maybe I'll read it a third time. I'm not sure. Wow. That's so full on. So something that, like, again, obviously I haven't, I haven't read it, but... As you mentioned, Tegan, earlier, it has attracted a lot of feminist critique. Mm. And, and D.H. Lawrence was apparently right wing. Oh. In the end. So he, oh, well, I mean, sort of... he just kind of, he didn't hate fascism. Right. <laughs> I don't know if, I mean, I, that's <laughs> right wing. I think that makes it right wing, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's usually like the dead giveaway. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't, he, I think his, his opinion on democracy has been described as lukewarm. Right. Okay. Well, okay. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, we don't want to ruin the book for you. Fuck. <laughs> um, anyway, so I guess what I found interesting, kind of going back to this idea of there being a lack of foreplay in the book, something that came up just reading. I didn't want to like spoil it for myself too much, but I also wanted to like get a bit of a sense of like what the the feminists were saying and one of the things those pesky feminists i know they just they they won't pipe down um they come in waves (laughs) um and so one of them was that there's this real focus on a very narrow idea and i guess like i say this understanding that it was it was uh you know, 1920 but that being said we've read some filthy stuff from before then Mm. so anyway there's this idea that the sort of scope of the sex was very like limited to what was perceived by what's the the gay the gamekeeper's name Mellers by Mellers Oliver Mellers yeah by Mellers perception of what was like acceptable sex and so kind of the idea is that that's reflective of D.H. Lawrence and what he you know believed to be and kind of this idea of like the natural orgasm being the one which is the most acceptable Mm -hmm. to Mellers that is you know a simultaneous penetrative orgasm like sex he he had this strange hatred and it's filtered all throughout the book this hatred of the clitoris in a way he refers to it as this beak that women have this beak down there (laughs) yeah um and that to get themselves off or uh, to bring themselves off by themselves without men uh that it was so low he actually referred to it as being um something that whores do and it would it would um the beak rubbed and tore at men oh, that's God. one of the things that he wrote and he has this it, it occurs twice once with oliver mellers and with one of the lovers that connie takes earlier in the book is that it is seen as being this criminal thing this truly cruel thing that women can do which is they can allow men to basically orgasm within themselves but they hold themselves back willfully they choose not to take their pleasure from men in that way but then afterwards when a man has already finished then they'll, you know, writhe and cry and all that sort of stuff and take their pleasure, you know, later. 
you know, via a clitoral orgasm. I mean, look, if a man knew how to make me writhe in pleasure, then I would be happy to let him do it. There's a lot less work for me that way. But it is seen as this withholding that women actively choose to withhold this, this thing that would truly connect them, which is the joint orgasm, them coming together and bringing themselves to pleasure at the same time. The one thing I will say, and I really only picked up on it this time because they're around pages, I've literally written them down, around the 200 mark, you have this big bit where Oliver Mellors is talking about his ex-wife and no, sorry, his wife. And it gets really weird. He's going on about the fact that she would withhold from him and, and yet yeah, that she would only get herself off by, you know, I think he might even use the word frigging or. Ah, uh, the term frigging. It's just not used enough anymore. <laughs> I think. It's just. <laughs> And that he, he despised her and they would get into physical altercations. Like there's definitely examples of domestic violence in there, but he's going through all of the women that he dated in the past and just like, she wouldn't come with me. She was cold towards sex. And this is the problem with women. Oh, they want Mellis. a man, but they don't want the sex. <laughs> and it just goes on and on and on. And there's also a pretty racist line in there, which I, um, which I bounce off in a big way. But then a few pages later, I noticed that um, Connie says something to him along the lines of, you don't really think that. And he says, don't I know what a broken backed snake that's been trodden on I was. And I almost wonder if like, oh, were you venting? That was a shit vent. You just vented. Maybe not. Maybe I'm looking on it far too kindly, but it's like when you sit around with your girlfriends, it's like he was fucked, he was fucked. And that's how he was <laughs> fucked. And they were all fucked. And there was nothing good about anyone. I couldn't make any, any of them come. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. And I'm going to talk Sorry to you about that. how it made me feel shit. <laughs> And then, you know, and then 20 minutes later, you have another glass of wine and your girlfriend's like, yeah, but you know, Jeff was all right. And you're like, all right, Jeff was all right. Yeah, no, I was just, I was in a really bad place and you know, whatever. And I wonder if it was meant to be more of a scene like that. And we just read, because this is what we do. We just break everything apart. And we take it so literally, but yeah, the weird, the, the beak thing. I don't know who D.H. Lawrence slept with and what was going on down there. <laughs> I do just find it fascinating because the, the book itself kind of holds this place in this kind of narrative of like sexual revolution and becoming more um, sexually liberated and, and that becoming more and more acceptable. Um, and I just find it interesting that it's like, yes, but only within this certain confine of what was deemed okay by D.H. Lawrence at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, it's certainly not, I think that, um, Actually, Jermaine Greer put it really wonderfully. She said, one thing the innocent reader will not learn from Lady Chatterley's lover is how to fuck. <laughs> if you are a woman, you learn that you will do wild little cries, the same wild little cries that you will hear porn stars faking on every video. And she's certainly right. You won't learn how to fuck from this. Um, often Connie just lies there in some state of wonder or shock or being empty. She's so often just vacant of everything. And that will be written in that she's just, she just had nothing left in her at this particular moment. And then she will have this sexual moment and, and it changes everything. You know, she has sex with Mellors and as she's walking away, she's like, he's just put a baby in me. And I know it for a fact, you know, and and (laughs) I don't know how accurate that is. Um, But no, there is something, there is something in this about this woman discovering with all of the money and, and all of the all of the noise that there was in the world that 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 connection that a physical connection between two people is important and um and yeah and some of the orgasm scenes are really great reads <laughs> <laughs> i just want to actually talk on one other thing on the language which is the language in lord uh, in lady chatterley's lover gets spoken about a lot and people really head towards the the cunt i think that's And I've tried to reclaim that word. I bristle, you know, you've probably talked about this already at length, the fact that there are so many horrible words about women and new ones coming up with even now in this modern age that just aren't reflected in an equally bad word for men. Mm. Even Karens, it's, you know, think what you want about the word Karens, but there's no male equivalent. Turf, there's no male equivalent to that. And I, I always like, oh, but where's the male one? But anyway, I've tried to reclaim cunt, but it's really jarring in this book. But oddly enough, that's not the thing that upsets me. It's the fact that he uses the term bowels in a way that must have felt different back in the 1920s. <laughs> but she talks about awfully being moved in her bowels a lot and feeling sensations in her bowels oh. and things feeling a flutter in her bowels. Rather and than like a stirring in the loins? Like you get a... Yeah, no, it's not about the loins. It's all about it's their all bowels. About the bowels. Wow, right, okay. Right? <laughs> and I just can't... I mean, he talks about... At one point, he's stroking her ass 
and he's he so something along the lines of like they're that and you they're that but i know that they're that and and something like like you shit and piss from those holes and I'm okay with it because I wouldn't want a woman who doesn't shit and piss from those holes and it's great. It's, it's really right jarring. On. And just oh. all the, the bowely pooiness of the whole thing, it just makes me feel like they get messy. Because there is well, a really... I mean, there's, there's, the, there's anal in, in there the There is book. anal. What? Yeah, Which... sorry. We, we should have led with the anal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so there's that anal needs to go on the... the cover as well. <laughs> Because there's anal in the book, and and at the time that it was written, it was illegal. Like anal sex was illegal. Um, so, so it's so. Me... I actually missed it the first time. That's how vague it is. Yeah, it's all it's um, all in and... the bowels. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> no, it's also that's one of the bits that really pisses off the feminists as well because it's you know it's one of those things where it's painful for Connie and she had to be submissive to him and she wasn't sure if she liked it, but being taken in that way from him you know, roused her and brought on new sensations she never thought she had. And it was this, you yeah, know, did, Connie. She, <laughs> she thought that it would bring on shame, but actually it annihilated shame from her life, you know, mm. yeah. which is, you know, fun. But anyway, yeah, language, bowels, it was, it was it's jarring. <laughs> so, I mean, the last little fact that I have, little factoid about the book itself is that, it was sold at auction, I think maybe in the 90s. I can't remember, but um, the book used by the trial judge in the obscenity case was sold at auction and it was sold for 56,250 pounds by an overseas bidder. And then the arts minister at the time placed a temporary ban preventing its export because people were like, this is an English artwork and should stay in England and so heritage yeah that's interesting that they would swing the other way and be like no no, it's fine now we want to keep it yeah yeah and it's because all of the obscenity laws that came up around it and you know the whole mythology of it now Mm. but yeah pretty crazy that's awesome yeah so I thought a nice way to wrap this up would just be doing a little bit of learning about the word cunt (laughs) I really like the word cunt. I used to not like it when I was younger. I think I was uh, still a bit like shy around the idea of it, but I quite like it, especially when it's used in a sexy way. I don't like it used as a an insult as much. But what a, about a? Um, how do you feel about it being used as like a friendly term? You are a fully sick cunt. <laughs> <laughs> how do you well, feel I mean, about when Tegan it? says it, I feel great. <laughs> <laughs> especially when there's a real awkward pause afterwards. <laughs> I don't know how I feel. Anyway, so the so the origins of the word cunt is pretty like contested. Everyone, you know, it's like Lamingtons. Everyone wants uh, to claim that. Just like Lamingtons. So yeah, but we're the ones that put coconut on the cunt. So it's definitely ours. So I think you'll find cunt is Australian. (laughs) (laughs) So supposedly it's either based on the Latin word for sword sheath which is cunnus or um cunnius which is which means triangular wedge so is this the same where cunnilingus comes from i would assume that that would be in there somewhere so it's either the sword sheath or the triangular wedge yeah apparently but there was also this hindu goddess called and i don't know exactly how it's pronounced Kunti or Kunti? I'm not sure. Or the gr- I hope it's Kunti. <laughs> the goddess Kunti. <laughs> the great yoni of the universe. She appeared in this like major epic Sanskrit work in ancient India between 200 and 400 BC. And I looked it up and there's some like pretty cool imagery of this like amazing Kunti goddess. <laughs> I like this one. This one's my favorite. So yeah, yeah, I'm a fan of this. Um, yeah. Fuck the Latin. Fuck you guys. Fuck Romans. (laughs) Well, and then so going from that in the Middle Ages and like Christianity, they would like preach this idea of women's genitals being like a potent source of evil. And they would call it the cunnus diaboli. I can't say diaboli. Cunnus diaboli or devilish cunt. So like it's sort of runs through. That's a term I like. (laughs) Devilish cunt. You've got a devilish cunt. Actually, I don't mind it either. Yeah, no. Here we go. 
And then, of course, Shakespeare kind of worked it into some of his works as well um, as it started to become more. Yeah. Where where did Shakespeare say cunt? Uh, Well, so in Hamlet, Hamlet says. I did study that in year 12. Well, it's because he didn't use the word cunt because it it still held. I mean, obviously, like D.H. Lawrence hadn't come along yet to to solve that problem. (laughs) So he would use it in other ways. Like, for example, Hamlet says, do you think I mean country matters? Followed by, it's a fair thought to lie between a maid's legs. So this idea that country matters is he's actually given a little hat tip to Shakespeare. What a devilish cunt. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, so that's just a little trip down uh, the history of cunt. Cunt lane. (laughs) There you go. Yeah, no, the, um, the princess, warrior princess one, that one was... That's my vote. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I feel like I we should, one. we as the cunt bearers, we should get to choose where the word comes from. Yeah, no, I stand And by can that. we also eradicate cunny purse from the history of everything? Because I, when I finally put two and two together on that and realised what it was, it was a very upsetting day for me. Cunny purse? I don't think I've ever Have you not heard of a cunny <laughs> purse? No. So when women had to, uh, you know, they've got their shillings or whatever it was, they would put it in a little purse that was hidden in their cunnies. Oh. I mean, oh. were they secret coins? <laughs> like, why would like, they? Why, is it kind of I'm like there with you. putting your weed in your vagina? Yeah, that's exactly what <laughs> Was that what it was meant to be doing? Hang on, when did, where has that come from? I didn't know that's where we are putting it. But you're putting it in biscuits. It's nature's pocket. It's nature's pocket. <laughs> wow. Okay, and on that note, let's... Let's just leave it there. Um, thank you, Tegan, so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure. And eventually when your book is published, we look forward to reading it. Yeah. <laughs> we'll spruik it to our 340 followers. <laughs> Yay. Well, if you ever, you know, worry that I've, you know, tried to class it up too much, I promise you this will be the hot, chippiest, trash baggiest of books. And this is why I can prove it to you. The working title is The Storm Between Us. Oh. <laughs> what garbage it's going to be amazing that sounds so good <laughs> Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.